0: I remember when I had a voice but didn't use it They were singing to me but I ignored my muses I finally found silence and I started listening And out of body experience what I was witnessing Welcome to the Gunny's Guys podcast, powered by More everything Benefit everything Resources. The show that shares the stories of veteran entrepreneurs and resources that will help inspire and guide your own personal journey and transition from the military. Everyone needs a gunny. Even on the other side death, of the D214. Really I'm here to be that mentor behind the microphone. My all to Enjoy the show. My all to it until I rest. Good afternoon, everyone. This is uh, Gunnery Sergeant Patrick Moore and my sidekick in this situation. Uh, Warren Officer Tira, Jason, and Pat more aptly in this scenario. Um, I'm going to say this probably for the first 20 or 30 30 episodes, but every military function needs a warrant officer that's in charge doesn't exactly know why he needs to be here. Um, And so that's that's Jason's role. Um, He'll probably end up talking with me because they end up being very important. But we're super excited to talk with uh, uh, Tom Aldrich today. we got in contact with Tom through Gunny Time. Most of the guys I've talked to, I have a deep, long standing relationship. We're just, we're fairly new acquaintances, but his story is, is super interesting. And he's going to come with a perspective from the military and also the civilian world that we've never talked to before. Um, so, we're really excited to dig in and, and learn about him and uh, his story of, of his veteran transition. So, with that, Tom, I want to. I want you to say hi, and
1: we'd love to, to learn about Tom, Patrick, and Jason. First off, thank you for both for uh, having me uh, having me on today. It's uh, it's a pleasure to just be able to kind of share uh, share the the do's and don'ts. There's a lot more don'ts in in, in my path that I found. Um, so if I can be helpful at all um, in, in anybody's transition, um, I, I'm it, it just kind of makes my day. Um, so I can, I can give you a little bit of background on, on me. Uh, I spent eight and a half years in the Army um, Special Forces. I, I joined when I was 25 years old. I had already had, um, you know, two to three years of work experience uh, in finance prior to that and having grown up in a household of West Point officers, right? My father, my, all my uncles, um, all my, both of my grandfathers served in uh, World War II that type of service was was really embedded, I think, in, in the DNA. And um, I chose for the majority of my life through college to kind of pursue baseball, which was my ultimate passion, pretty much as far as I could. And um, you know, following college, I I found a job in finance. Really liked the competitive aspect of it. We had a really great team that we were working with. Um, but at the same at the same time, um, that itch never went away and through speaking with you know members of my personal board of directors right family friends um, i ultimately decided to make the shift um, from the civilian world into uh, army special forces and rather than go the officer route i actually went enlisted uh, because i I wasn't positive that the the army uh, and in particular special forces was a career move but I did know that special forces was something that I wanted to do. And it was it was an area that I had uh, researched um, in depth. So that was uh, a little bit of a glimpse into the first big transition in my life, I would argue. And over the course of eight and a half years, um, did four deployments overseas, spent that, the entirety of my career with third special forces group down at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Um, my now wife, uh, she and I were um, boyfriend, girlfriend, when I first entered in 2010, we got engaged, um, a year in, uh, we had known each other for, you know, at that point for six, seven years. Um, and then over the course of, um, our time, uh, in the military, and I, I stress that our time in the military, uh, we had three beautiful daughters. Um, and (laughs) during my fourth trip in 2017, um, my wife had an opportunity with her job to potentially move back to New York where, uh, or in the New York area. She's originally from um, Long Island. I'm originally from Stanford, Connecticut. And that seemed to have kind of aligned with uh, my uh, my uh, terminal service date. So I started looking at opportunities outside of the military pretty strongly at that point. And um, you know, did my course of action development, my little matrix, right? Uh, in terms, you know, because everybody I met with, sergeant's major, et cetera, were the one question they had is, okay, where's your course of action development? Right. Like, you know, you're you're considering all these things, you want my opinion, but I want to see what time and effort you put in. Uh, and that turned out to probably be the most valuable piece of advice I got at the beginning of my transition process. So I could at least see, at least on paper, right? Um you know, the the qualities that you're looking for in in a job uh, outside of the military and how that stacks against certain sectors uh, in the civilian workforce or particular jobs uh, in general. So um, I started there. Uh, I found this this amazing program that honestly a lot of finance firms have that's geared towards uh, veterans who are making that transition out, right? It's it's essentially an apprenticeship program. And through that, eight week uh, internship, I got a chance to meet a lot of really interesting uh, individuals, men and women um, who were considering a move into finance, Uh, a lot of them went on to they use that as kind of a stepping stone to go get their MBA. Um, I would say, you know, probably the other half ended up, um, you know, accepting a position elsewhere, whether that was inside of the firm or out. Um, and, And that really kind of began the process to into finance from the military. And I'm happy to kind of expand upon the experiences there and the lessons learned.
0: Yeah, so the the first thing that I hear when you tell the beginning of your story is that you made a relationship last all the way to marriage through several years of active duty. Uh, You also mentioned don'ts. And those are probably the most important things for us to share is like, is our stumbling blocks what was, what was some of the most difficult parts about maintaining that
1: relationship or the low points
0: there that you, that you pressed through in that relationship?
1: That's a great question, Jason. So I, one of the don'ts, I would say, again, as it relates to any relationships that you have, right? Key stakeholders. Um, and I hate to refer to my wife as a key stakeholder, but, or she <laughs> to refer to her in that way, but she really is. Um, and I would argue that my children are too. But earlier, early on in the process, I was stuck in this mindset that, um, I mean, you could argue it was kind of pounded into all of our heads, probably being in the military. Right? Is you're given a mission or you're given an objective, and um, your job is to, you know, to find your way through that obstacle um, and overcome it. And for a majority of my career in the military. Um, I I had served on a a special forces ODA on a special forces team as the intelligence sergeant. And a lot of that job was, you know, you had to be a creative problem solver. You were a singleton a lot of the times, right? You were working on your own. And I took, unfortunately took the same approach early on when I was looking at other, uh, other potential opportunities in the civilian workforce. And rather than incorporate my wife at the onset into that course of action development, um i kind of brought her into the fold later on right and she had a you know she she, one she had a different perspective on a lot of the opportunities that i was considering uh two she has (laughs) way more experience in the civilian workforce than i did and i failed to consider that Um, so at the point in which i brought her in um you know or you can argue she forced her way in um, at, at that point, I really started seeing, you know, making some tweaks in, in, in terms of my internal decision-making process and really started to kind of figure out my, my way forward. So that's the, the, the first don't, and really, uh, probably more honestly, the first do is, um, is to not necessarily ask for help, but ask for different opinions and ask for different viewpoints because, and again, I think anybody in the military will, will truly respect that is you know, it, it's a melting pot of individuals and backgrounds and experiences. And if you don't bring all of them to the table, you're doing yourself and your team a disservice.
0: Tom, that's huge. Uh, you're obviously a romantic when you refer to your wife as a key stakeholder. Uh, I, any poet would be proud of those <laughs> words to describe the love of your life. Uh, but, yeah, but I appreciate that. It's like, the it's not only like, I think important in terms of, who you're choosing to be your life partner or key stakeholder, but also that like if you have chosen this person, there's a reason. If you're not making them a part of your life, you're failing a part of your decision-making process. Tom, what uh for those of us that don't quite understand what you might have gone through in terms of a process of laying that out for your sergeants major and and things like that. Um, what were, what were some of the things that you had plotted out in planning for that transition? What were some of the analysis points that you hit when you were considering that transition?
1: Yeah. So I laid out, uh, roughly five or six different variables, right. Um, in terms of how I was going to calculate the, the value add of, of, of each potential opportunity, um, a lot of these are kind of intuitive, right? Um, professional and career development, predictability, salary and benefits, geography. Um, and some of those, uh, and in particular, predictability and professional growth and development, actually weighted those a little bit higher than one to one. So for, for professional growth, it was weighted at 1.5, and then predictability was a two. Uh, so two times waiting on that. Right. Any of us who've been in the military understand the importance of uh, especially, you know, for me, when I started having children and coming home from deployments and the baby who I left at three months, you know, come home and she's nine, you know, nine ten 10 months old, doesn't recognize any, doesn't recognize you anymore. You have to kind of, you know, uh, prove, prove to that child that you are a valuable member of the household <laughs> coming home from deployment. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: a shift of priority a shift of resources that's it that's it yeah. man. um so uh predictability w- was a big one there um and those were some of the variables uh, and, and what i found was using using each of those metrics i was able to at least to see statistically where i might be aiming those efforts uh, in terms of job hunting very cool so
0: so what um i love that we've talked this long typically like, I, I know you're a humble guy because you haven't mentioned the place that you actually are employed at right now and where that path took you. I've never heard anybody take this long to say it if you're employed by the person you are. Where do you work now, Tom?
1: Yeah, uh, Patrick. So right now I work at Goldman Sachs.
0: Okay. No, fantastic. Um, and you talked about the internship program. Was that a specific one or was that like a Goldman Sachs internship? Like, what is the name of that?
1: yeah it's a great question so the specific internship program that i went through with goldman sachs was called the veterans integration program and at the time it was an eight-week program um, whereby you were slotted within a particular division uh, of you know that you had applied to uh, one of three in my case that i had applied to and uh, that program has since changed over the years, but um, it was, uh, that was how I came into the firm. And fortunately after those eight weeks, you know, I returned back to Fort Bragg to finish out, you know, the small remaining portion of my, my enlistment contract. And ha- I heard back, I want to say maybe a week or 10 days after the end of the internship within a, with an official offer. No
0: hmm. Okay. So you did that while you weren't still on active duty.
1: Yeah, if, if either of you are familiar with the DOD Skill Bridge, Skill Bridge program, it was a lot like that. Um, in my case, um, I had not necessarily a, a, a unique circumstance, but for the timing of when the internship program was, I, I had still had, right, it took place in April and May of 2018, and I still had had a couple months left on the contract, so I had to work with the chain of command, which, who were all extremely supportive of, of what I was trying to do. Um, it just had to make sure that all the Ts were crossed and eyes were dotted.
0: Huh? No, so it wasn't skills bridge. It was actually just that. Inter- what was it again? What was it called?
1: Yeah. So with Goldman Sachs, it was called the Veterans Integration Program, or the VIP, as it's known within the walls of Goldman. Okay. And what is kind of the
0: requirements to get into there? What What do you have to have? The bachelor's degree in hand already, or do they work with guys without degree?
1: Great question. When I it's again, it's changed a little bit, but I I I still do believe that a bachelor's bachelor's degree is required. The when when I again when I went through in 2017 2018, um, it started with essentially just providing the five Ws. You know who you are, um, why you're interested in finance, and you know if you had to choose the top three divisions you'd like to apply to, what would they be and why. Um, that, That process was so easy uh, that I, I did it. Uh, I think I was on break from, uh, I was in the midst of a senior leaders course, uh, a special forces senior leaders course. And I, I happened to be scrolling on LinkedIn, which never happened. I saw the, you know, the advertisement on LinkedIn and had a copy of my resume and PDF form just kind of on my phone. And I, I mean, I literally, I was like, okay, yeah, these three divisions would look great. You know, I I posted it, put my name, you know, what branch in the military attached the resume. And that was it fully expected never to hear back from them. <laughs> fully expected them to say who is this knuckle dragger here and why is he applying to Goldman Sachs? Uh but fortunately that's not the way it played out. That's that's
0: awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. It's always the most random thing. I hear a lot of preparation in that story that you're not uh you're too humble to acknowledge for yourself. But uh Tom, not everybody has their resume uh ready to fire off at random. Not anyone not everyone is as prepared there's definitely a lesson in there for all of us uh in terms of just having those resources available and ready to act uh and that might seem like second nature to you but there's other of us that fail at that on a regular (laughs) basis so uh uh so uh, tell us a bit about that progression and again some of the don't some of the biggest struggles uh that you encountered in that progression through the internship program uh, and where you're at currently at Goldman
1: Sachs. Sure, Jason. So I would say I tried, I stress the word tried, to go into the internship eyes wide open and extremely humble. um, Because having had a small background in finance prior to going into the military, um, I, I, I remembered my time there and how you know, you, you simply just have to prove yourself. No different than you know, you you come into you know basic training um, right out of the civilian workforce as either a high school graduate or you know a 25 year old like I was, and uh, while everybody's excited to have you there, the assumption is that you know nothing, and that they are you know they are going to help build you from the ground up. So I, I tried to go in as humble as possible despite having come from what I felt was a really elite part of of the military and having had some deal of success there, but now starting, you know, at, at a complete, you know, on a, if I were to jump from, you know, maybe the top rungs of one ladder, I was going to, you know, go to a completely different ladder and hopefully hang on to the very lowest rung and climb my way up. So I would say some of the, 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 the dues are basically the takeaways now with, with, uh, history, you know, our hindsight being 2020, I would I would argue that understanding how people communicate in your new, uh, either the new company you're going to or the new company you're going to start, whatever it is, whatever the transition you're making, um, understanding how the individuals that you're going to be working with on a daily basis communicate. Case in point, uh, at Goldman Sachs, right, coming from. I'll first explain, you know, the the team room environment on a Special Forces ODA. No dissimilar, I'm sure, to um, you know any any other uh, department in the military. But it's very open and honest to a fault, almost, right? If you're doing something wrong, everybody knows about it. And if you need someone's attention, you either grab them by the shirt, or you know they're going to be kind enough to just be three inches from your face and ask you. And- <laughs> Um, you know that is just not a reality at least that i found uh during my transition and 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 that's not a good or a bad thing that's just a reality of it so um, understanding you know i i remember my first day as an intern and you know i sit down at my computer and i'm you know with a a group of five to six individuals you know two of which are really on the desk Um, I would call them the enlisted, you know, the the enlisted folk who get all the work done right for the team. Um, and I just remember at the end of the day, right at whatever five, six o'clock at night, asking one of those individuals, you know, is it really, is it always this quiet here today? Or is it always this quiet here? Um, and he said, you know, actually we were really busy today. And that was a wake up call to me that, you know, despite uh, despite what I would consider a busy day, you know, people running around with their hair on fire, you know, talking loudly, uh, jumping around, whatever it might be, um, in this new environment I was going into, the way people communicate um, is it, just vastly different. So I made it from that first day. That first day was a Friday, thankfully, because I had the entire weekend to really just reflect and, and think to myself, okay, when I go back in on Monday, I need to be much more situ- situationally aware about what is going on around me so that I can identify those gaps and then start to fill them and be value added to the team. So communication was definitely, I would say, um, the first the first do. Um, but yeah, go ahead, Jason. Sounds like.
0: No, I just, you were saying from like an evaluation standpoint, uh, it's not, uh, it's not just communicating, it's mirroring the communication or being able to receive that communication. Did you, Tom, did you find that to be far more reactionary than what you were used to? Like military, especially elite military training, is loads of preparation to meet the situation where there's uh, possible reactionary uh, attempts that you've tried to prepare for every caveat, right? When you walked into that environment, um, it sounds like it sounds like it was very reactionary. Did you eventually find their level of preparation for any given day, or was that a complete culture shift for you to adapt to?
1: You know, I would argue that the the beginning, man, I really would argue it was like the first week or two, right? And you got to remember, this is a this is an eight week internship, so the clock is ticking. Um, I, I really did spend the first week uh to two weeks i mean writing everything down furiously that i didn't know or you know uh, the words the word or words just kept popping up and you know I, i put those i put those aside and said okay you know tonight after everybody leaves um i'm going to make sure i understand what these five things are because they keep coming up and and i clearly need to know what they are um it's one of those weird dynamics where you don't know what you don't know so you're furiously trying to climb this, this learning curve that seems inverted uh, at, at, most, at most points. But um, yes, I would argue the first, the first week or two felt reactionary, but at the same time, if you are actively trying to plug those holes in your free time, right? So for me, I was uh, living and commuting from Connecticut at, at, during the internship and that, you know, door to door, it's about an hour and a half to two hour commute each way So I decided, okay, well, that's time that I have that I can research and 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 again fill those gaps, so that tomorrow I am, you know, I'm becoming less reactionary, more proactive, and and again trying to identify those gaps and, and and where I can fill, take take some things off other people's plates, and just quite honestly, be more reliable.
0: Anything you would have done differently if you had the perfect clarity of hindsight?
1: a great question i think what i would have done differently is i would have utilized the call it two weeks prior to getting the official offer to come do the internship um, to actually day one when we started i would have utilized those two weeks to do a lot more networking with individuals in uh, in the particular department that i was going to be working in because I I, and I, you know, part of me feels like you can never prepare enough because the actual experience itself is going to teach you a lot more. But I, you know, admittedly, did a, I would say, a terrible job of of networking within that particular department prior to getting on the floor.
0: It's a, it's probably a natural inclination for you now. At at that time, what do you think held you back from? making those connections? I feel like you're in a very similar situation as many people. What, what part of your like soul or mind held you back from making those connections before your first day?
1: Probably I would argue the, the, the most beneficial question that hopefully the viewers will will get from this, um, from this podcast. I would say that I was so used to having transactional relationships in the military when it, when it came to, um, learning, right? So, you know, Hey, I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to do this course in the military. I need to talk to these people to make sure I'm spun up and ready to go by the time I hit the ground. Um, in the civilian workforce, and I talk about this all the time with, with, with friends of mine who are in the transition business, um, is, ter, you know, trying to convert that mindset from transactional into strategic relationships, right? Where, you are uh you are if you're trying to establish a connection with some with somebody um in most cases honestly it, it, i feel that the way i've done it um when i when i've done it the right way sometimes there's just nothing in it for me other than you know providing my network and my resources that i've gathered over time um and then down the road this i've, I've come to find this has happened a lot in the past three years um something happens and i, I turn around to those same people and say hey Um, if you've got time, I would love to make an introduction to so-and-so who's interested in, in the particular vertical that you do a lot of work in, or, you know, I see you're connected to somebody. Would you mind helping, um, facilitate, you know, for so-and-so to, um, you know, think about, think a little bit harder about making a move from the military into this particular realm. So, you know, what it is, is going from a mindset of transactional to strategic or one, quite honestly, that um, in the beginning parts of the relationship, it, it it might not be a quid pro quo. It might just, you know, be trying to help, um, be trying to help them through a difficult problem.
0: Yeah. Kind of like the situation we're in right now. I, uh, (laughs) uh, giving without the making connections, giving without the understanding that, um, there's anything coming your direction afterwards. Uh, and we appreciate that without even really understanding who might be impacted by this. In the future, very cool. You practice what you preach, sir. Good job. Nice. <laughs> uh, so obviously, Goldman Sachs loved you. Where did Where did you go after the internship?
1: Uh, you're very kind to say that. I'm not quite sure they loved me, but they I guess they liked me enough.
0: They like you dearly. Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, I was fortunate enough to be offered an opportunity to come back to the same department that I interned with within the walls of Goldman Sachs, and um, that they, they had a great program. They still do where, um, in my case, I rotated with different teams on, on the particular floor within, within the building. And I had an opportunity, or at least I injected my own opinion, uh, to potentially create an opportunity to go back to one of those teams that I had rotated with. Um, that team in particular had a former reservist on it. A former Marine um, Gunnery Sergeant and a former uh, uh, former Navy pilot. So it was it was really neat, Um, and you know, simply simply for the fact that this firm does a tremendous job at identifying talent um, and weaponizing those individuals with what they need to be successful in life. um, Two of those individuals have since left, but they're still you know what I would consider a part of my personal board of directors and. Uh, they're part of that strategic network of relationships that I've been fortunate enough to develop.
0: I love that term, personal board of directors. Um, Where'd you come up with that? Like, how'd you come up with that concept?
1: Um, So I can't take credit for that, uh, nor will I ever, but a, uh, one of my, I would call it mentors uh, during my time in that veterans integration program, he asked me, we went outside on a walk, right? I was, I was, during the, those eight weeks I was setting up like four to five meetings a day with people throughout the firm um analysts you know from analysts all the way up to managing directors just just to try and um yeah build those strategic relationships and one of them said to me during that walk he was like who would you consider on your personal personal board of directors on the 39th floor where we work again you want to talk about like a proverbial slap in the face because you know he could see my mind racing of like he just said the word "personal board of directors." That's fantastic. And who in the world are you know would would be crazy enough to sit on my personal board of directors right now? Um, but he followed it up graciously with, you know, I hope you would consider me one of those individuals. And he has. He has been. Has stayed on on there. I had a call with him yesterday because I had a difficult problem I was working through. Um, so yeah, that that's where the concept came from originally. Is your wife at least the chairman? Of the board of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes she is the the chairman the ceo the co-founder oh yeah the whole thing
0: <laughs> just in case you're listening dear uh, <laughs> yeah mine too by the way uh, so, <laughs> so we're all on the same page uh yeah so struggles you've encountered uh in that role i, I guess it's probably important for people to understand uh your direct relationship uh some of the responsibilities what you're um, what you're fundamentally attacking for uh, in that weaponized sense for Goldman Sachs but what would how would you define that Uh,
1: just to make sure so how would I define kind of what the firm does to weaponize us to give the resources we need
0: and then and then what your particular role is there
1: okay sure so my my particular role now is different than what it was when I started uh, but my job is to advise um, individuals, families, smaller institutions, nonprofits on how to strategic, strategically think about their wealth, right? And how to grow that wealth um, over time so it can last you know, multiple generations. And when I first started at the firm, I'm telling you what, what really attracted me to this firm was the what felt like infinite amount of parallels between what I was doing as a Special Forces Intelligence Sergeant to uh, the roles and responsibilities here, uh, both as a, as a wealth advisor and uh, in my first job, really more of, um, you know, as a, uh, uh, an investment professional. And that is, you know, when I first came in, they, both the firm and I were on the same page in terms of expectation management, which is not always the case. But, um, you know, I did some self-reflection and I met with my manager on the first day and said, you know, I am really excited to be here. I am also really excited to get into the weeds and understand every part of this business so that, that, you know, getting back to that word that weaponizes me when, you know, the reins get taken off and I go out and I'm wearing, you know, the invisible Goldman Sachs badge, right. Or I am a, um, you know, I'm a representative of this firm, uh, to some, pretty high level individuals, organizations, et cetera. Very, very similar to having gone downrange with that, you know, long special forces tab and the green beret that you can't mistake anywhere. Um, And you are indeed, you know, a representative of the elite part of of the military. So just a lot of parallels in there. That's initially what attracted me. Um, And again, the firm, much like much like you know, my first year, two technically three years in the military, it was okay. Hey, listen, let's 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 get down to business here. You are going to, we are. I, I'm telling you, it's incredible. Just like the military does an incredible job of placing an extreme amount of responsibility uh, on your shoulders, uh, Goldman Sachs does the same thing. Uh, but in doing that, they have you know the equivalent of you know, your uh, platoon sergeants, your, you know, your commanders, your team leaders, et cetera, who are constantly watching, monitoring, uh, and stepping in when they can tell like, okay, you know, Tom's, Tom's at the breaking point. Let's, let's step in and provide a little bit of uh, professional development here. Um, And that's something that I've tried to kind of continue and and foster as I've, I've, as I've grown in my career and new individuals have come into the firm. Um, but that's that's the first thing is the weaponized portion jason has has really been setting individuals up with a network within the firm right and that could be an affinity network it could be um you know a small cohort of individuals you know who you work you know in in close proximity to um but at no point just like the the command climate surveys you get like you know on a scale of one to ten how you know how how confident do you feel that you have somebody to go to in a, in a crisis situation, right? I mean, it's it's the same thing here. Uh, and it's always a 10, right? I always feel extremely confident that I have multiple people I can go to um, in the event that I'm having a personal and professional problem. Um, so the first weaponize is, is definitely providing a network. Um, the second weaponize here is is, is providing um, the technical um, and external resources to allow you to solve some of the most intricate financial problems that our clients have. Um, and I would argue that that was very similar to my time as an intelligence Sergeant where, you know, we have all this amazing training that we do, you know, back in the States where we're connected to servers and clouds, right? And then you get down range and, you know, you're in the middle of Africa and your partner force is looking at you like, uh, you know, what do you, what do you want to try and do here? Yeah, uh, I, unless you have a computer or something, right? Like, we're going to be using uh, paper and pencil, so uh-huh. you know, case in right. point. Yeah, go ahead. No, I said it right in the rain book, yeah, right. And even then, right in the rain was like, Man, where did you get this? This is incredible, <laughs> uh, That's up,
0: man. yeah, yeah,
1: but I mean, it's uh. Ultimately, the end game, right? Like the whole, what's the end state of the weaponized portion of that? And that, and that's, um, it's truly to make you uh, more adaptive uh, to an ever-changing environment. And and that's there, again, so many similarities uh, to and analogies that you can pull from, you know, being involved in the financial markets um, to being on the battlefield, because um, you know what you did well yesterday might not work tomorrow. So.
0: The. Um... I mean, that, that's all sage advice. Like listening to your background, like having finance experience before you joined the military, being enlisted versus officer with that background on top of it, like your experience is super unique. Someone who hears about this program for the first time through Goldman Sachs, the internship program, that maybe doesn't have your story. Like maybe it's that that guy that joined the military at did one enlistment, maybe two enlistments, and wants the transition, but is really interested in finance and, and loves the idea of this program. What's some things you think they should do to prepare for it? Like, what what's something they can do if they don't have the life experience that you have when you apply?
1: Uh, again, another great question, uh, Patrick. The advice that I've given uh, is one like, first and foremost, you have to be coachable. Um, and that's, in my experience, I think the on the job training will, will be the most advantageous part of that learning curve. Um, but in terms of actual preparation, right, like before you step foot in the door, we already talked about networking. Uh, I think through networking, you can learn a, a lot about how those individuals, when they came to the firm, whether it was out of college or, um, you know, from another firm, how they climbed the learning curve. Um, so getting a different perspective is always extremely valuable for me. Um, and, and again, you know, you're you're right on, you're spot on, Patrick. In that, you know, I did have uh, some, I did have a little bit of experience in finance. When I came into the particular department that I'm working in now, it was almost night and day uh, from what I was doing previously. So, it, to give you a, give you an example, um, you know, we were the firm I worked for previously had a, a very niche specific. Um, a very niche part of their business, right? That is, I would argue like a fraction of 1% of what I do now in my job. So what I decided to do, how I decided to kind of fill what this extremely large gap in, in my game was, uh, I, I looked at this, uh, I, well, it was really two approaches, right? I've, I have looked at an executive MBA program um, where I could kind of work and maybe go to school at night. And I also looked at, this program called the uh, uh, chartered financial analyst Mm -hmm. program or cfa program and uh, i did a little bit of cost benefit analysis right or course of action development whatever you want to call it and i ultimately decided to go with the cfa designation or at least begin to achieve that Uh, one because the firm and i asked this and i would would encourage anybody to ask it right Um, the firm was gracious enough to uh, consider paying for the fees associated with the exam, prep materials, et cetera. Um, two, it allowed me to uh, study on my own time and schedule the exams when I when I thought I was ready. And three, it is a designation that is very well regarded in the finance industry. Um, not to say that an executive MBA program would not have given me, you know, two or if not three of those, those attributes, but for me, uh, what little downtime I did have in my day, I also wanted to devote that to my wife and my children, because again, going back to the predictability and being around, wanting to teach my kids to ride a bike, um, that ended up being a you know a, a big part of, uh, of of the analysis process. So um, I I can tell you that that CFA designation that, that uh, I am going for, I've it's a three part exam. Um, I've I've passed two of the three parts, and I'm anticipating taking the third one in November of this year. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's
0: that's really exciting, and you say that so coolly and calmly. Like (laughs) I feel the excitement of what that must mean for you, and yet you deliver that as if you're telling people what's going to be on the table for dinner. Well, he's still thinking about November. I think (laughs) past November.
1: <laughs> I, you, I I have signed up because I mean I, I'm sure you guys have a mindset like me. If you don't sign sign up, right? It's it's never really uh, it's never really a reality. Um, and I would argue uh, I would argue the person who is most excited about me taking and you know knock on wood passing that final exam is my wife um, because you know each of those exams I think we you know I dedicate I say I we dedicated. You know five six seven hundred hours of studying um it's incredible but every part of that getting back to the original question patrick was um i was just floored at how often pieces of that um that curriculum weave themselves into my everyday uh my everyday job uh, duties and responsibilities so it was it was well worth all the time the effort the cost which is exponentially less than, than an MBA program. Um, and one, again, that the firm supported me on, you know, professionally and and financially.
0: Now, is that something you think someone could do while they were still on active
1: duty? Uh, I do. And I know a number of individuals who I've worked with uh, over the past two years who have done it. Um, one of them, matter of fact, just, just took it, um, last month. Another one's taking it this month. Um, and it's, you know, I would argue if you're, um, if you're like me, where you, you know, you set a goal and in the back of your mind, it's constantly eating away at you until you actually do it. Uh, I would argue, I think for, for the first level, of the first test I signed up in, I officially signed up in July and really started getting going midway through July. And I took the, the exam in the first week of December. So about three and a half months worth of prep time, study time, et cetera. Um, the second exam, um, I, I spaced it out a little bit longer. It was, and that was partially due to the pandemic. Um, so I was scheduled to take that second one uh, in June of 2020, ended up taking it in uh, for, again, first week of December, 2020. Um, and then the last one, again, I'm, I'm anticipating about four to five months worth of lead time, study time to prepare. Oh,
0: that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> You talk about just signing up. Tom, I mean, like, that's, that's something that we're doing right now with this show. Uh, We don't know uh, every detail about operating a podcast, but we're passionate about delivering some of this information. So um, I say that just to say, like, um, we're developing the questions that will be the most useful to people. We're developing the hardware. As you can see, we. We've upgraded our audio, but we weren't able to use it today. <laughs> so we're like, we're growing into this as we as we see like as we've kind of learned from the last pivot. Call this like our our study session and, and what have you. But um, is there is there anything, Tom, if, if we we're like super open-ended about this that you would like to say to veterans out there that are are making that transition? Um, the ones that are uh the ones that are possibly even struggling you have friends and cohorts that have fallen to the the strains of of mental illness and and so on in either of those two threads is there something that you would like to share with with those those veterans
1: uh absolutely jason so a friend of mine um uh, matter of fact, my best friend in the military, uh, he and I grew up, uh, you know, met at basic training and grew up, stayed with each other kind of all, all the way through the process in SF. We were on different teams, but our, you know, our families are close. Our kids are close. And he, um, he is in the process of transitioning. And, and something that he did is he took advantage of the time that he had in the military to first find out what he was really passionate about. Right. Like if 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 money was never an issue, what what is it that he would like to do for the rest of his life?
0: Awesome.
1: Yeah. And he has done an incredible job at first figuring out what that was and then implementing that. Right. So he's he's developed a program and I encourage anybody um, to to follow them on LinkedIn. It's called the Janus program. J-A-N-U-S. And they they have essentially tried to kind of fill a vacuum for the special operations community in the transition space right Um, in in the arm, the army has a uh, you know a a great transition program. But it is sometimes falls into the trap of you know being cookie cutter right one size fits all and and as i'm sure all of us here can attest to it's just not the case Uh, and that's what makes us all great is we have different backgrounds and experiences and skills. Um, so, you know, he helped create this program um, in his very limited off time. And the, you know, one of those three pillars that, that really kind of encompasses the, the Janus philosophy is finding your purpose. The second is also building a meaningful network, which we've talked about at length, uh, you know, during our time today. But that meaningful network again, transitioning from more transactional to strategic relationships, and those are the ones that are really going to help when it feels like you're on this never-ending climb uphill. You know, in this new endeavor, it doesn't have to be a job; it could be anything. Uh, and you know, transitions take take many shapes and forms. Um, but having that meaningful network uh, behind you, um, and then and then lastly, learning how to decouple from an identity. Right. And that's not to say to to completely throw your identity out, but that would for me, I say was, you know, technically it still is a part of, you know, the hardest part of my transition because I was so proud of everything that I had done uh, during my time in service. Um, you know, I was I was proud of the way my kids looked at me. I was proud of to be able to tell my friends and family that I had had this goal and that I achieved it. And, you know, the individuals who I work with were not only my best friends, but they were the most awe-inspiring people in the world. And, you know, a big part of me, uh, my identity I felt was was being a Green Beret and, and then, you know, stepping out of the uniform and going to do something differently. There are times when you think to yourself, man, did I, you know, did I just lose that part of myself? Um, and that's that's just not the case. And I felt like when I was sometimes on my downward spiraling paths, that was a big part of it. It was, you know, who am I, right? Um, looking at myself in the mirror, you know, what do you stand for? You know, what are you doing? What impact are you making, right? You you had a job that was defined by by purpose, um, and, and and how you know how do you see that purpose in this next transition in life? So. That decoupling stage, in my opinion, is is arguably, you know, one of the most important. Um, it takes the most time, and if you have a meaningful network and you have i been i have been able to identify a purpose, then that becomes a lot easier. So th- that's just kind of the last thing I would I would leave you all with. Um, Passion,
0: is- network, and identity. I am so glad I asked that open ended question. We could probably do three separate podcasts. On the topics that you've just brought up i do because i feel it's so functional um janice that uh can you go into that a little bit more is that a discovery of passion is that part of the janice motto
1: yeah so two individuals there uh the, the individual i was referring to my best friend andrew stamp is his name and a close friend of his ours uh paul Tulin. Um, through, you know, through wargaming and kind of, you know, hashing out what it is that we we thought Janice stood for, um, and I'll give the credit to, to Paul and Andrew who, are, who really kind of brought those three aspects out, um, we would argue those are the three pillars that Janice stands on, right? And that's, that's what individuals we feel like would w- would come to, to the Janice program to help, you know, those are the variables to help solve for, right? Not this, and it's not necessarily to say that they need solving, just more so, you know, we want we want people to think about these things well in advance of of you know that transition date, right? And uh, Andrew and Paul, I think, would be the first ones to tell you two years out at a minimum, right? Um, I I definitely fell in the category of I was nowhere near two years when I started thinking about those things. Matter of fact, I was probably closer to six eight months prior to that and by that point right you just give yourself less of a uh, a runway to help um to help yourself network and you know do as much course of action development as you can so that when it is time to take off the uniform or it is you know you you know you you get in your car with you know your family and the truckload of all your stuff and you're leaving you leave there and you say like you know that that was not a fantastic experience i feel ready for this next uh not only do i feel ready but I am, you know, I am, I am prepared um, and excited to you know, exceed the standard at, at whatever it is I'm trying to do next.
0: No, that, uh, and that passion and purpose, I mean, you can't spend enough time thinking about that, discovering it, especially as it shifts with marriage and kids and so on. So um, and honestly, you tap into that, then you know exactly what your next move is every time, right? And then you need the friends to get you there. So, what do they? Do, what does Janice do to help veterans discover uh, that purpose?
1: It's a great question. So, it, there's a multitude of resources that they provide. Um, first and foremost, given the fact that uh, Andrew and Paul are still on active duty, just for a little while longer. Um, they do a number of workshops uh, down at, uh, at Fort Bragg, and that's expanding to other areas of the country as we speak uh, for transitioning service members. They'll bring in, you know, senior executives from uh, from corporations or individuals who, you know, um, who have worked with corporations and human resources and, you know, do everything from resume resume building or tailoring, you know, tailoring a resume to a specific job to, Um, you know, an open, open open-ended panel discussion whereby each individual on the panel talks about their transition, um, why they chose the route they chose, whether that was maybe, you know, higher education or, you know, an entrepreneurial, um, an entrepreneurial uh, avenue, going to work for a corporation, you know, uh, and that could be completely separate from military or DOD, and it could be you know, being a, being a contractor too, right. And then working in the intelligence community, something like that. Um, so giving, giving various perspectives um, it, the program again is, is, is growing rapidly. You know, there's obviously a lot of interest in getting events um, for uh, service members and their spouses, because that's the other thing, right? Like it, it's, it's tough to have the conversation Amidst everything that's going on in life with children and and work so being able to provide some type of a retreat. um, Atmosphere whereby you know there are no distractions right, you know you get a chance to sit down and really talk about it be open and honest with each other and uh, and figure it out figure out together what the next step is. Um, And then you know, lastly it's, it's hopefully hopefully partnering with higher higher education institutions. Um, creating, you know, kind of week-long programs whereby um, you get exposure to um, uh, exposure to and access to uh, academics. Right, get to figure out kind of the resources out there that can help uh, potentially point you in the right direction if you're if you're going to start your own business or you're looking at you know potential uh, inroad to um, a civilian job, corporation. So those are just some of the things. Um, that the, that the program provides, but it's, again, it's growing rapidly, which is amazing to to see and watch be a part of.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. When, um, you know, a, a big part of why we started the podcast is, is, is the mental health aspect of things. And often I find guys that are, are really struggling with mental health related issues they kind of feel like they're on an island and uh, they see like successful people and they just assume like they don't have any of those problems you know i'll ask it open-endedly is there you know how does mental health and that type of the the world how does that affect you How does that affect you know people that you work with at golden sacks the golden sacks people that probably feel like they're invincible like what what do you see that and how does it affect you
1: it's so true. Again, uh, let me just say it up front. I have yet to truly um, conquer the the, me, the you know my own personal uh, mind you know m- mind frame right. Like there are there are days when it just feels like I I, I I'm getting I start the day frustrated and it just continues to snowball. Um, so it is it is truly a never ending process. It's felt like for me, um, and I agree. I think work, working at a Uh, working at an institution like Goldman Sachs sometimes can be extremely intimidating because you are constant. And this is what I wanted, right? This is something I wanted. I wanted to be surrounded by people every day who were going to force me to be better than I was yesterday. And that's because I wanted to be the least intelligent person in the room or the least experienced person in the room so that I could absorb through osmosis and keeping my mouth shut, my ears open on how they've been so successful. So, um, I would argue, um, you know, we talked about that three pillar part of, of what Janice does, building uh, building a meaningful network for me, um, and that 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 happens in so many different forms. For me, in the military, um, you know, it's ingrained in us. You wake up every day and the military actually pays you, to uh, do physical fitness from, you know, call it six to seven 30. And then they give you time for chow so that you're ready to go by nine o'clock. Right. Very gracious of them. Um, d- despite how uh, spine breaking the uh, whatever that physical activity. Might be. <laughs> so, but that was, that was huge because for me, and I didn't realize it uh, truly uh, how much satisfaction I got out of that physical fitness in the morning and how it just kind of, it's, it, it was like it was the tone that I needed to set the day right I, I went out and I challenged myself physically pushed myself past really mentally what I thought I was I was possible uh, or what was possible and was constantly creating new goals physically when I when I got to the firm again this is through no fault other than my own I was just so laser focused on climbing that academic learning curve that the physical fitness part took a back seat um, and people will have different views on that. But what I came to find over time um, and, and through hindsight being twenty twenty, was the fact that when I finally started re-incorporating fitness into my daily schedule and I actually, whether it's joining a gym or you know, finding people, friends of mine here at home who I grew up with who were really into fitness, right? It's, it's like, it's finding that tribe and that tribe is going to make sure, you know, it holds you accountable that, you know, Hey, this is something that's good for you, right? You need, you need to figure out a way to incorporate this into your day, whether it's at three in the morning or seven o'clock at night, whatever it is, you got to do something. And, um, so, you know, we, we come from tribes in the military that are just, I mean, tight knit is really just not the word. Um, it's hard to find and replicate that anywhere anywhere in the world. So being, building a meaningful network outside of that um, is so incredibly important for your mental health. It, it has been for me. And I'm just thankful that uh, I was able to recognize it, um, you know, albeit, albeit it had to slap me in the face, right? Um, or knock me to the ground to, to really realize it. And um, again, my, my wife has played a big part in that, you know, she'll recognize when I'm, um, you know, not in the best frame of mind. And, you know, if it happens to be on the kids, you know, she'll pull me aside and say, Hey, why don't you, you know, go downstairs or why don't you head to the gym and, you know, take, take 60, 60 to 120 minutes, do whatever you have to do and then come back. And no surprise, you know, my wife is always right. So <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, no, I just, I just smile because whether the message is delivered in quite as beautiful a tone as you've just portrayed or not, they are correct. They do have that intuition. They do know uh, what we need. Uh, And it's interesting because there's so many disciplines in the military that we take for granted when we're in, not just the time, but the platoon sergeant or the, the gunny pushing you to go, and run, and and work out, and stay fit. Uh, We almost detest it, but it's a gift, and it's a gift that we have to find when we leave in so many categories, and you said tight-knit, but I mean, there are, whether you want to or not, like the the members that you met in the military and spent time with, it's more intimate than family so often, so I, I think you've identified several things that transitioning veterans might let go of or not acknowledge that they're going to miss out on that, it, that would be really helpful in a transition 100%. So, we have taken a lot of your time, Tom. I got I got a couple questions and we kind of asked this to everybody, man. Um, and really, it's we appreciate what you've given to to our network and to into and the people listening to this. Um, I want to kind of know, what, what are you focusing on right now, Tom? What, what's kind of most important to you?
1: What I'm actually focusing on is, is, is now that I feel like I have, um, I don't want to say I have crested the hill, but I feel like the learning curve is becoming a little less steep. I'm starting to find my stride a little bit more. I am trying to dedicate some of that, as I've become more efficient in my process, both at work and at home, trying to dedicate a little bit more time giving back. Um, And that, again, helps fulfill, you know, we talk about the three pillars, that purpose, function. Tom, if
0: there are some young men and women in your area that are thinking about making that jump in the military, how would they find the organization?
1: So, the incredible part about this organization is that it is uh, word of mouth only. Um, so, I would encourage uh, anybody, you know, I, we have people coming from Pennsylvania, New Jersey, uh, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, uh, down to Connecticut um, once or twice a week in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they are truly serious about making that leap um, into the special operations community, um, you know, feel free to, to contact me on LinkedIn. And I, I will tell you, I mean, it, it is no joke. This is a uh, it's as close to a um, as close to the experience that I, I felt, you know, training and going through the special forces assessment selection process that I've seen since, uh, since being in the military. And what's amazing is it was, it was here in my own backyard before I entered the military and I didn't even know about it. Um, so, you know, if anybody is seriously considering it, feel free to, um, you know, send me a direct message on LinkedIn and I'll be, I'll be happy to, uh, to to help fill in the, um, or make an introduction, hopefully.
0: Who would have thought that giving back could mean you introducing someone to one of their worst days ever? <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's it. So there, there's the caveat, right? Be careful with what you have
0: to do. No, no. So, LinkedIn, good. is that is that the best way to get a hold of you, brother?
1: Yeah, I would say LinkedIn is great. Oh, I, I, I have.
0: Want to reach out or, or talk to you more about all the stuff that you laid out? What, is that the best way to get a
1: hold of you? Yeah, 100%. I have, uh, I have turned my notifications on. So, uh, you know, even if I can't respond right away, they're there and uh, I have terrible ADD, so I can't ignore when there's like a one, two, three, sitting next to the icon.
0: LinkedIn matters, guys. Yeah. Um, it is, is a hugely useful tool to do the networking that you talked about and to find your personal board of directors. So Tom, we really appreciate your time today, man. We'll put that in the in the show notes, your LinkedIn link. We'll spell off the name and they'll, I think they should be able to find you easy enough. <laughs>
1: Sounds great. Thanks, guys.